Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Soro Reza. Soro is a yoga and meditation teacher. Uh, he's teaching out of Iran right now. So uh, hopefully, uh, if you guys want, you can do an online class with him. He'll tell you about it at the end of the podcast. Please check me out on social media, at Noor Kidwai, Instagram and Twitter, Noor Kidwai Comedian on Facebook. And please like and give a good rating to the podcast if you're enjoying it. And uh, if you are enjoying it, why don't you tell some like-minded individuals uh, to check it out and uh, hopefully we can keep spreading the word and I really do appreciate the support. Let's get into the, this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Soro Reza. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Day. I'm here with my man, Soro Reza. Soro, thanks for joining me, my man. Thank you for having me. Oh, bad. So, uh, Soro, uh, you're a meditation and yoga teacher. I guess yoga would probably be the first one I would say. But, um, yeah, we've known each other for years. You used to live in uh, Canada. Now you're living in Iran. Maybe give our audience a little bit of a background of just kind of uh, who you are, where you came from, all that stuff. All right. Well, it's, uh, first of all, good to be here. Thanks for having me once again. Um, so, a little about me. I uh, was born in Iran. I moved to Canada in 97. I lived in Calgary for most of that time. And uh, I kind of did the typical Iranian thing of becoming an engineer. And I worked as an engineer for some maybe three or four years and I just kind of hated my life. So I broke out of engineering and I just, you know, tried to do anything and everything to find my own path. Uh, that led me to personal training, uh, comedian, uh, construction worker, and finally yoga. So once I kind of got into the yoga path, I never really left and I'm still there. And yoga took me kind of all around the world. I, I went for uh, my teacher training in India, in Kerala, in South India. So I did that. It was a month of like intensive yoga teaching. It's basically you live in an ashram, you wake up 5.30, meditation starts at 6, and it's a whole day ordeal, and you go to bed around 10, 10.30, and again the next day, and it's the whole month like this. So going out through that experience, it really changed my life, and afterwards I spent six months in another ashram, which is uh, affiliated, it's basically the headquarters of the organization, it's in Quebec, ironically, which is funny because when I was in India, everyone's like, why are you here, why don't you just do the thing in Canada, I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, there was an ashram in Canada. So I went to live there for six months, I did what's called uh, karma yoga, basically you just live there and uh, work and they feed you and they give you a place to live and you teach yoga and you do work. So every day you would do something, you know, maybe it was shoveling snow, breaking wood, carpentry, whatever they asked me, so I did. 
And uh, after that, I decided to get out and teach. And uh, I spent some time in Canada and Calgary. And somehow, again, I ended up back in India. I was assisting a course. And then I met uh, what became my wife. <laughs> so long story short, we just got married in Iran. And now we live here. We teach online because of the corona. Uh, but life is good, so I'm happy. That's awesome, dude. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about like your training and yoga then. So when you went to the first ashram in uh, India, so your first like one month course, like how much like experience did you have in yoga before that? And like, what was like? I gotta go and do this course. What made you do that? Mm, so I was a personal trainer, and part of my personal training tactics was yoga. Um, you know, I kind of just picked it up from hot yoga classes and P90X videos and whatever I could, you know, find. I learned uh, basically the physical side of yoga. So that I was teaching to people in gyms. I worked at Gold Light or Gold Gym. Oh, Good Life, sorry, Good Life. <laughs> I forget my Canadian life from time to time. I've been gone. <laughs> Uh, I worked at Good Life and World Health, <clears throat> so I taught people yoga and, you know, in the back of my head, I was always like, you know, if I'm going to be teaching people yoga, I should really go get trained as a proper yoga teacher, you know, like actually learn. So that's kind of what led me to go to India and in all, again, in my head, I was always the process was if you're gonna go t learn yoga, why not go to India, where the birthplace of yoga? That's kind of how I ended up in India. Okay, and then you were saying like you knew the physical stuff. So like once you went to India, like what kind of mental stuff did you start actually learning about like the whole idea of yoga and the whole like philosophy behind it? Well, it's more than just mental. You know, the yoga is uh, mental, physical, and spiritual, and people have a hard time with the spiritual word spiritual you know but it's it's to do with what we can't define in our physical reality and that stuff you really only understand if you're immersed in a environment which is 24 hours practicing yoga so it's really hard to describe to you what what um, you know you would learn in uh, in the system, the, the traditional yoga system, they call it the the teacher from the teacher's heart to the student's heart. It's like it's almost like a, some somehow sent from one heart to another. It's it's like that stuff you can't learn on YouTube or you know anywhere except physically being there. So. It's tough to explain, but it's, it really changes your whole perspective on what is yoga. And once you feel that, um, you really appreciate it because, like I said, it changed my life. I, I was pretty bad shape when I went to my teacher's training. I, I was kind of at, a, at an end point where my life, where I, I tried the engineering path and I more or less failed. You know, I, I didn't end up succeeding at that. Uh, I tried 
you know, comedian, personal trainer, and it didn't really get me where I wanted to be. I moved to Iran and worked with my dad, and that also didn't, you know, pan out for me. So I was kind of at this place where I, I tried so many things and I just hit one wall after another. So physically, mentally, emotionally, I was just done. But when I got to India and this transformation happened, it was just like I'd been given a new birth almost. So it was very powerful for me. Oh, I bet. And uh, so like how how was this transformation like? taking place was it just because of like you're doing these like intensive days that like eventually like you just had to break through the mold kind of thing or what so i guess the best way to explain it is what exactly we do there so um basically the day start at six um you you need to wake up at around five five thirty you know do your shower and brush your teeth or whatever um then you go get ready for what's called satsang. So satsang is like a group meditation slash chanting in some uh, like uh, yogic, Vedic, you know, like, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sanskrit uh, prayers and like songs. So Sanskrit is the language of yoga. It's a 6,000 something year old language, which they, uh, you know, like it's what, the language that yoga was written in, so the traditional yogic texts are written in text in Sanskrit. So in satsang, we basically sat for 30 minutes, silent meditation. Afterwards, we did the daily prayers. And then after that, we sang some songs, which is, you know, traditional yoga songs. And um, then we had about 30 minutes like a lecture about whatever we were, you know, the day kind of was bringing. And then after that, the, the kind of the course actually started. This satsang is just the, 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 what they do in the ashram day in and day out. But the teacher training course starts after that. So I think morning was two hour uh, asana class, like hatha yoga, which is pranayama. Like uh, pranayama is... Hmm, Breathing techniques, more or less. Mm -hmm. you, um, you know, I can explain better if you add, if it's specific, but let's just say for now, breathing techniques. And then uh, asana, which is the physical part. You know, you do some sun salutations and whatever asanas we do for the day. And then starts uh, philosophy class, Bhagavad Gita class. Mm, there was a chanting class. What am I missing? Oh, and um, anatomy and physiology. So these classes were just mixed in through the day. We had uh, two meals a day, one at 10 and one at 6. And the meals were eaten in silence. You know, you sit on the ground. And I don't know, uh, like, you, I don't know if you've been to India and you see the traditional how they bring the buckets and you get like a metal plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, basically you get a metal plate and they bring food and they kind of serve you like this. And it's kind of like Oliver Twist thing where you like, you know, please, uh, I have some more. <laughs> so you just sit in silence and eat your food. Uh, and then again at eight, you have another satsang. And that finishes around 10 and at 11 o'clock it's lights out. So you go to sleep or sit in the dark. Yeah, man, that would be crazy to do that for like 30 days in a row. 
I couldn't uh, I couldn't imagine like that's a pretty extensive like course you're doing there right it was what I wanted you know like I before beforehand I I went to India once and I kind of looked at a couple of places and it seemed kind of like a business to me you know it was like oh you give us some money and we give you a degree or a certificate or whatever that's not really what I wanted I wanted to actually you know live the yoga life so when I found this place, the lady who kind of introduced it to me, she was like, you know, this is a very hard course. You have to wake up at five every morning. You know, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't eat meat. It's like none of this, no sex. So when I when she told me, I was like, yeah, I'm all in. And, you know, when if you go in with that kind of mindset of like, yeah, I'm here to, you know, endure. That's a good point, and I think the mindset's a huge thing because, like, I uh, I know like a thing that I've done that's created a lot of transformation in my life was like going on like ayahuasca retreats, and like mm-hmm. uh, with the first time I did it, I went straight to Peru and uh, mm-hmm. I went to the jungles and like you know it's the exact kind of thing. It's very in- in- extensive like kind of stuff that you have to go through, and you have to like discipline yourself. The, they have a co- diet you have to eat like you can't have sugar salt you can't have uh, certain types of meat no sex like you said like no ejaculation or any of that stuff and like so you have all these like rules and um yeah but like when you do that like when you're when you actually like I think how you were saying you reached this point in your life where you're like okay I'm kind of lost none of these things have given me fulfillment like that I went down and then you kind of got to that breaking point where you're like okay I got to make a change now and uh, I know that thing then like doing some course like this where now you're like not only that you have to discipline yourself so much but you put yourself in this environment that's like kind of conducive to that discipline that because everyone's doing it there so it makes it a little bit easier even though it's freaking hard and then you have to go through those like hard like actual like exercises and like all those courses and like all the stuff that you had to do like that's a big way to like actually like create that transformation in your life because like now you're just like hey I'm giving this my all and uh, that can actually help you and I know it helped me when I did my own thing but uh, no it's actually uh, really nice to kind of hear how you uh, went through this eh? yeah and you know this is kind of one of the laws of life you don't gain anything if you don't sacrifice anything mm-hmm if you sacrifice a little, you gain a little. It's a law of the universe. Mm-hmm. If you want some great change, you have to make a great effort. It's just that's how things work, you know. Yeah, and um, so you were talking about like you did, uh, you got had like philosophy course and stuff like this and this, like, because I know like I've been like studying the philosophy of like yoga a lot too, and I remember the Bhagavad Gita, like I read that like like maybe a decade ago but it was also like a book that I just like remember um really making you understand the mind and like kind of incorporating those books and the philosophy and then like doing meditation over the years like I really um started to kind of see like how like these philosophies kind of describe our fears or doubts and like kind of our ego and like how to kind of separate yourself from that is kind of like these practices that we're doing um, can you maybe talk a little bit about like uh, how what you kind of learned with the philosophy and like also meditation and stuff like that? So it's really hard to kind of 
you know, boil it all down, but you, you kind of hit it on the spot where it's like, it teaches you to train your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, the, in the ashram, they say the mind is like a monkey. It just wants to jump around and, you know, just go crazy. So if you let it, it'll take over your work. It'll take over your life. It'll take over your, you know, it'll take over your thoughts, your emotions, everything. So the process is really to meditation is to observe and detach. So the, the big key here is to not um, buy into the fact that you are these emotions. You know, you are not your thoughts. So once you kind of have that, and I say realization, but it's it's one of those things where you, you kind of keep have to realizing because the mind is very tricky. You know, every time you think, oh, I got it. It's like, oh, no, no, I got another trick up my sleeve. You know, every time you learn the last trick, there's another trick. Mm -hmm. And that's just the process. You know, you, you the reason why you have to meditate every day is that you have to uh, basically keep your sword sharp. You know, you have to just keep practicing and practicing and seeing and observing and after a while it becomes kind of chatter in the background i you know for me even in the times where i i spent you know i spent six months in canada in the ashram and i went through my second training course there my advanced teacher training course and really by the end of it i kind of reached a point where i you know whatever you want to call it nirvana or you know peace or inner peace or something i was really close you know i'm not going to say i was there but i felt like you know i was really at peace you know the mind chatter was really gone not all all of it but for the most part but the, the really the thing that it kind of taught me more than anything is just to not uh pay attention to it too much just let it do its thing and observe. The thing they say is just observe, you know. Mm -hmm. Don't make judgments, just observe. And it's just, you know, uh, one thing you'll hear in yoga class all the time, it's like watch your thoughts like clouds drifting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and uh, I like how you were saying that because, uh, like, I, I've done, like, meditation for quite a few years as well. And, like, uh, one thing uh, I know a lot of people think, like, the whole process of meditation is to, like, silence the mind and it's like that's not like what the goal is really that kind of happens sometimes especially if you're doing it a lot but like your mind like this like the noise in your mind like all that activity like it can come go up and down doesn't matter how long you're meditating for right it's just part of life yeah. and like i've had yeah. it too where like i've had like a couple of weeks or months where like my meditation practice i'm just like doing it way way more than i usually do it and because of that, I get to like really, really silent, peaceful states. And like, I get to those points where I can kind of walk around in life and my mind is like, so like silent and I'm just so present and it's peaceful. But then that goes away and like, because yeah. of life, I kind of like my meditation practice, I might start doing it a little less every day just because I'm busier and stuff like that. And that's kind of how life happens. And then your mind gets noisier. But like getting into those states teaches you just like all of that stuff is not the reality. All that chatter, all that stuff isn't it. So like even when my mind yeah. starts chattering up again, um, you can like have that ability to just be like, ah, it's just it's just chattering right now. And like in like you said, you don't give it much attention or much anything, or you just like non judgmentally let it uh, go its own way. And like 
just that thing in, in itself brings so much peace to your life mm -hmm. because you stop mm -hmm. listening to that voice in your head, which mm -hmm. can sometimes tell you some really like bad things that just gives you more mm -hmm. fears and fears that just start like kind mm -hmm. of piling up on each other, right? Yeah. It's uh no, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um all right, uh, one thing you wanted uh, uh, we were talking about before was about uh, kind of community. And I, I wanted to ask you about uh, like community because uh, you have uh, lived in um, Iran and Canada. Those are like your two big countries that you uh, lived in. And like I think we both of those countries do have kind of a little bit of a difference in like how they <laughs> view community and stuff. So like uh yeah yeah so like i don't know well let's talk about like wh what you think the importance of community in like people's lives is and uh maybe like how different cultures kind of approach that so i really felt this um lack of community when i was uh, living in canada and uh, it's just like you know um i i really felt that the importance of feeling like you're a part of something uh, I think everyone in this world uh, needs to have meaningful connections. You know, one thing that uh, people talk about social media being toxic or whatever, it's because you have connections, but they're not necessarily meaningful. And the thing about connection is that, you know, I don't mean uh, you have to go sit with someone and talk to them about their innermost thoughts and fears yeah that's good that i mean you we should all have friends that we trust to have in-depth conversation with but what i'm talking about is just being around people and feeling at ease about it one thing i felt a lot in canada is social anxiety mm -hmm. and social anxiety is the best i can define is people being uneasy around other people yeah. and i think um it's it's more and more worse in uh, younger people because they're just so they're always on computers and you know whatever Instagram and Facebook they have less and less contact with real people and once they're around real people they they have this feeling of like oh something's not right there's this anxiety inside the the thing that you know people kind of you have to, again, with one of those things where you have to go in person and feel is um, sometimes in some of the poorest countries in the world, like India, or I was recently in Nepal for, I was actually stuck there for three and a half months during the whole Corona thing. We were on lockdown. Oh, wow. But yeah, you know, it, it was, Nepal is one of the poorest countries in the world as far as like poverty. And I saw some real poverty there. But I also saw some real connection and real community where people were living at peace, you know, and, and maybe I don't I didn't see that as much in Canada. People had their iPhones, they had their nice cars, they had their houses, but they didn't have peace. They didn't have contentment. They're always fidgeting and, and, and it's it's not something you see with the eye. You kind of feel when you're around them, you know, you, you feel the uneasiness. Even if they uh, show this kind of uh, pres present this, you know, nice suits or nice clothing and well, nice haircut, everything looks good.
But underneath it all, there's this unease, uneasiness, this, you know, angst. That, I feel like, is really um, a symptom of a lack of connection. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really necessarily know um, the, the solution. But personally, in my life, it's just been, you know, uh, exposing myself and being around people who make me feel comfortable and not in the sense of like uh, socially or um, financially, just kind of, you know, feeling accepted. Mm -hmm. And I know, um, you know, Iran is probably the most isolated country in the world right now, where if you walk down the street, you rarely see anybody that's not Iranian. <laughs> and I think maybe that part of the reason why Canada has uh, such a big, bigger problem with this social anxiety is because it's such a collective of different people of different cultures and uh, maybe it can be hard for people to feel like a you know a connection where someone is Ethiopian someone else is Pakistani another person is you know Filipino all these different cultures maybe find it a little hard to mesh whereas in his somewhere like even Nepal when, when we were in Nepal, you know, it was locked down. So basically everyone had left. There was maybe a few thousand tourists left and everybody else was Nepali. So it, it, you felt this kind of, uh, you know, cohesiveness. And I, I really think there is some value to that where I, I feel like people in North America or Western society, you know, my experience is Canada. So I'll say Canada, um, they really, I think they should put more, uh, more time and effort into creating that because it's, you know, it really gives value to your life. A hundred percent. And like social anxiety, like how you said that, like I agree with that completely. It's something that I used to suffer with a lot as well. And it, it kind of gives you that like, whole feeling of like I don't even want to go out I don't want to put myself mm -hmm. out there and it like it yeah. sucks it's like a, it is a fear-based uh, um, feeling and uh, yeah it is something like working with like meditation like really did help me get over like it, it, it does suck but um, the other thing about that in our culture we talk about like uh, like social anxiety and like I think a lot of people do talk about it like hey this is uh, something like uh, if you want to get over, just go out, put yourself out there. But like when you got to look at like how we get together and um, in our communities and like our, our culture, especially here as young people, it's about like going to bars and stuff like that, which can kind of like sometimes just make your social anxiety worse. Like, like it just doesn't, it's not like the best thing, especially when it's like you need a drug like alcohol or something to kind of like be the gateway to let you like to get rid of your social anxiety you're just kind of training yourself to do that right like yeah. uh, the one thing is like having kind of like communities like you were saying and sometimes these communities can be based on stuff like like you said yoga like you when you were in like india and stuff like you had like people around you every day and like that's a kind of community mm -hmm. and that's like where you make those healthy connections but there's like a thousand different types of communities that can be like yeah. more healthy right yeah of course <clears throat> and once you kind of uh feel the need for that like you know uh when i was in calgary i found uh 
It was a community based on uh, sustainable like plants growing and stuff. Like I, I can't remember exactly the words, but it was like growing food in around your house and in gardens and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just like you know a group of very diverse people, but they all kind of came together around this thing, and they would meet maybe once a month. And they, you know, give you some muffins and something and talk and give you tips about how to grow, what to grow, what grows in this climate. And, you know, it wasn't really my thing per se, but I just enjoyed being around these people who are doing something. Like you say, it's like something healthy. You know, it's not alcohol. It's not weed. It's not whatever. And like, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, I smoke weed, I drink, I do all of it. But when you start basing, when you start becoming dependent on that to, you know, solve your social anxiety or solve your whatever it is, your need for connection, <clears throat> then that becomes a pro- problem. Um, strip all that away. And then once you kind of get to the bare bones, then you can start you know, having a few drinks here and there, smoke a joint if you like, you know. But the the real problem is when the t- dependence on, you know, drugs and alcohol, which, you know, I see more and more in my own friends in Canadian society. It's, it's really a problem. And, you know, like, people are very happy that weed is legal. And don't get me wrong, like, you, you know me. I, I used to be high at every second comedy show. So yeah. I'm no one to about not smoking weed but uh the dependence of it you know like it's good to accept that people can make choices and smoke weed but i don't think we should accept that it's healthy to be high all the time you know yeah and uh so you just mentioned comedy so like what how to how would it comedy and community uh go with you when you were in calgary so you worked in comedy for how many years was it like four maybe yeah around four maybe three and a half four years yeah i started in 2012 early 2012 and i finished late 2015 16 ish yeah um it you know Back then, I left my job as an engineer. I worked downtown. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough about how unhealthy that lifestyle is to sit in front of a desk, you know, from 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 or whatever it is and, you know, work at a job that you really have no passion for. I'm not saying some people have passion for their life, uh, for their job, but I really didn't. You know, I just kind of... and it, you know, you could say I worked for the paycheck, but I really didn't even work for the paycheck. I just worked because I was expected to. <laughs> you know, my, my dad is an engineer, my mom is an engineer, my brother's an engineer. So when I left uh, high school, it was like, what kind of engineer you want to be? <laughs> you know, it wasn't really like, I, I was never really given an option. In my mind, you know, maybe, in, in, uh, you know, if I approached it, it would have been open to like something else, but... They should have been like a yoga engineer, <laughs> some inner I'm working, engineering. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah, but that that lifestyle kind of just you know it really was unhealthy for me physically and emotionally and spiritually. So once I left, I was really kind of grasping at anything to 
make me feel like you know my life has some purpose so i you know thankfully i'm kind of resourceful so i did a lot of you know self-help books and meditation and <clears throat> reiki and whatever i could do and you know i'm not i'm very um i guess adventurous so like you know i i whatever i was like i want to try this i would go do it you know so uh, i basically started in the physical part where I started working out a lot. I took martial arts classes. I, you know, did just anything I could do. And then that kind of led me to more emotional, you know, exploring my emotions, writing journaling. I think journaling is a really, really good technique for people. It's kind of like meditation on paper where you, you know, people sometimes they need to hear their own thoughts or see their own thoughts to really, um, you know, have an understanding of what's going on in their head. Uh, so journaling really helped me. And then eventually I got into some spiritual practices. I never went the route of religion, um, but I, I really don't have a problem with religion. I think probably uh, the one thing that kept me away from religion was being from Iran. And, you know, Iran is a very secular culture. You know, religion is a part of... Uh, the government so people have a big aversion to religion but i i think religion can be healthy you know uh it's just it's a person it's a personal matter you know like it's, it's about you and your connection to god so it's not really where you're a christian or you're jewish or you're whatever it's just like what what makes you connect to god so i you know went through all these paths and uh, somehow in these paths I ended up in uh, a broken city on Monday night and I remember it was uh, I don't think Dave Merhej was uh, headlining but he was doing like a 10-minute spot and I went and I sat like I told you I'm kind of adventurous so I sat right up front and I think for the 10 minutes of his set five minutes he just ripped me and I loved it <laughs> I, I just yeah, for people who don't know, Dame Burhesh is like uh, one of Canada's best comics, and uh, he's talking about a really popular show here in Calgary, so where a lot of people get their first time on stage. So, uh, yeah, that would be pretty funny. Like, Dave Burhesh is great at ripping people apart in the audience. So, like, yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, and I, you know, it wasn't like I was like offended, or I, I really loved it because if you know Dave, he doesn't um, laugh at you, he laughs with you, kind of thing, which is the key to a good comedian. So after the show, I went to James, and uh, you know, I said I'd like to try. I said, all right, just keep coming, and he put me up maybe the next week after that, like not the next week, but the week after, and I kind of just became part of the community, you know, like. You just show up. And the thing I loved about it was, um, you know, it was cheap. I mean, like inexpensive because I would just show up. You don't have to pay the five bucks. Maybe I would get a drink. And that was my evening. You know, I wasn't really making money. So I, I needed to find somewhere to uh, be around people and enjoy my life and not spend any money. So, I mean, even if you're not a comedian, you pay $5 entry. I'm, I'm assuming it's still $5. I haven't been for a long time. But you pay, you pay the $5 entry and you have a good time for three hours or whatever. And it's, it's really, you know, he healthy and 
Uh, I really feel that laughter is probably, you know, they say laughter is the greatest medicine. I agree. But, um, you know, long term, I feel like there was some uh, problems in the comedy community, which made me eventually leave comedy, you know. Uh, I feel like comedians as a people are kind of depressed, you know. People don't uh, see comedians as being depressed. Maybe after the whole Robin Williams thing, it's kind of shown a light on this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like that clown analogy where you just, you're, you're so sad inside that you just want people to laugh and be happy. But then once the laughter is done, you go home and you're sad again. Mm -hmm. So I really saw that in the community. And I, I was really interested to make connections again, you know, maybe, maybe I didn't fully understand it at the time, but I knew that that's what I wanted deep down inside. And I do and still keep in touch with you know, uh, some friends that I made in comedy that was like real connections. Mm -hmm. But in the uh, flip side, there was just people that, you know, they wanted to be your friend to get a spot. They wanted to be your friend to be part of whatever, you know, be the in the in, in crowd or whatever, you know, the social games. So I think that those things kind of drove me off comedy eventually. But yeah. As far as the actual being a stand-up comedian, I, it's one of the greatest joys anyone can imagine, you know, to get up in front of people and spread joy and laughter just to come, have it come back at you, you know, in maybe multiple. It's really amazing. Like, you, know, you can't really explain it. I know you know how it feels, mm -hmm. but it's very addicting. No, it's, uh, it's very addicted. Um... Yeah, and I like how you were talking about the like the community, like in that sense, like in the sense that um, yeah, it can be a little unhealthy as well. Like, uh, and I think that has a lot to do with just like our kind of like the ultra competitive nature of our society, right? Like we kind of yeah, yeah like I uh, when you kind of mix in any kind of competitiveness with like community, that's gonna definitely show its like head ugly head in like some sort of way right but um mm. it yeah like it is kind of true like some parts of it are like amazing where you like like just having people that you can grow with in comedy and like uh, be there with you and go through the same experiences like that kind of has that like uh you know it kind of has that like you're in the trenches with somebody kind of feel where you're yeah. just like you know we went through the same struggles so like that thing i think is amazing because like uh over the years you kind of develop these like strong friendships because of that or people you like gone on the road with a lot so like there is like both parts of the community which i can like it's like really healthy but also like yeah there's like that competitive nature and then like there is like a lot of comedians kind of do suffer from like depression and stuff and like yeah like uh definitely i've had my like little bouts of it as well and like for me it was like mostly a, like anxiety which was this huge in me but um yeah you like to find the ways to kind of get through that like comedy kind of helped and then like i brought in like other aspects of my life like meditation and yoga that's why i'm I'm thinking like uh, any community can kind of use these kind of like ideas from like meditation and yoga to like yeah. make it a lot healthier. That's why I really do hope these things can kind of be taught in schools and like this is something we can learn from when we're younger, right? 
Yeah, and I totally agree. You know, one thing I really uh, enjoyed about comedian uh, comedy is the sense of like mentorship. I remember you guys, uh, you and Eric, you ran the Jupiter Room, and it was really, it was really like uh, for me. I felt like you know one of the one of the kids you guys kind of take under your wing and you show like especially people like James uh, or you know other comedians that are kind of old timers and you you look up to them and you you try to learn and I I really feel like there's a value to that you know mm-hmm. um, that beginner's mindset and kind of trying to better yourself in whatever the pursuit you're doing. And I feel like it helps both parties, you know, like because since I've done my teacher training, I've assisted now three teacher training courses. I, I go back and basically I help teach the, the teachers mm-hmm. to be. And I learn more from teaching them maybe than they learn from me, <laughs> you know. A hundred percent. That's like comes back to your whole point about connection because like, when you're coming up, when you have somebody who's like a mentor and like takes interest in you and just be be like, hey, like this is a way you can do it or these are some tips or hey, let me help you out with some stage time, any of that shit, like that's a connection. It's like something real and like it really makes you feel good and like that, like you get some encouragement. And then like once you have experience and like you're years into it and then you see uh, younger people coming up, like being able to help them and give them tips it just makes you so much stronger it makes you a better uh, comedian or whatever art or whatever your thing is like it makes you yeah. better at it because now you're teaching it but also it like it's so good for you like the whole idea of like encouraging people like i try to tell that to people people think like when they say like even in like yoga they say like a lot of people say like oh it's a giving thing you want to give like it's always good to give and people are like well mm-hmm. what if i have nothing to give like you would be surprised like how one of the most powerful things you can give to somebody is encouragement you know like if you yeah. if you encourage them like to go down like a path that will be healthy for them sometimes all they need is somebody to say that to them somebody like i've seen it with comics before like especially like when the comics come into the scene and they're lonely and they don't really have too many friends and stuff but if you go like hey buddy i saw your set you're getting better here's some mm-hmm. encouragement like go on with it like that those kind of statements are so powerful for people because then they're like, oh shit, like some people have never heard that before and they're like, okay, yeah. then that for them is a real connection and then all of a sudden they feel like a whole different way to relate to the world and now they're motivated to kind of push through and like grow at this like new thing that they found. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like a positive feedback loop. You know, you give positivity and it becomes back to you more, more positivity. Mm-hmm. you know kind of grows and grows yeah and uh one thing like how we were talking about there are toxic aspect aspects to any community and this was in comedy as well like people think that if you encourage people it's going to be bad for their own career of down the road yeah. like you know they're like why would i cr- encourage these younger comedians to come get better and then they'll eventually take my job or like something along that lines but like they don't understand that positive feedback loop like not only like are is your encouragement like gonna come back to you in a way and maybe even the person you encourage is gonna remember that down the road and like give you another opportunity down the road 
Um, mm-hmm. but like that encouragement also just helps you as well. Like it really does. Like now you're teaching somebody and that also makes you look at your own, like kind of art form or whatever you're doing and that like you get better at it yourself. Right. For sure. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, all right. Uh, before, uh, I ask the big question, <laughs> I'll, uh, I do want to, you were telling me about autoimmune diseases. Um, let me know about, uh, let our audience know a little bit of like what you've uh, been through and like what you suffer from and like uh, how you've dealt with it kind of thing. So this kind of really ties in well with everything that we've been talking about. I was diagnosed with autoimmune, uh, with Crohn's, which is a form of autoimmune disease. Uh, I was diagnosed in 2009 and at the time I was in university in Victoria, <clears throat> which was very stressful, you know, <clears throat> electrical engineering is is not fun. <laughs> I, I don't I don't recommend anyone who's not really passionate about electrical engineering to get involved. <laughs> but um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's and you know to be diagnosed and at the time I think I was 23 or something to be diagnosed with a disease that more or less has no cure. Um, it was really a shock to my system you know it was like the doctor was like here you you know, I kind of made a joke. It was it didn't really get a lot of laughs because it was very glum. But my joke was that it was like being told you have AIDS, except I didn't have sex with anyone. <laughs> but it's like you you you're being told you have a disease that has no cure, and you have to take drugs for the rest of your life just to live. You know, just to kind of live a not a healthy lifestyle. You know, just to kind of manage your disease. Uh, just the fact, just the shock of that took me years to get over. And um, maybe I spent probably four years, maybe four or five years um, going from this drug to that drug, hormone therapy, steroid therapy, until I got to a point where they wanted me to get on this, um, these injections where I'd have to go to the hospital and like, sit and they would you know put an IV in my vein and basically take out my blood and put some stuff in it and I was like you know what if I have to live like this for the rest of my life I, I don't want it I'm, I'm gonna go find my way if I die I die I don't really care so I did I basically stopped taking all the drugs and you know um, I went and you know thank God I found my path but the thing that it taught me was the connection between autoimmune and uh, having that those connections and feeling like a purpose. You know, autoimmune disease, its definition is that your immune system is attacking yourself. Your immune system is attacking your body. So what I really feel strongly is that the reason for this is that your brain, your, your being, is, it doesn't want to live anymore. You know, so it gives that message to your body so that your body slowly kills you. <laughs> and I, I know it sounds very like, you know, uh, depressing or sad or whatever, but I really feel like that's the truth. So the, the way to kind of um, counteract this is to find a purpose, you know, find a reason to live, you know, uh, really go after it. And for me, it it's again boils down to community connection loving people you know like you said it's all about giving 
Um, a lot of times people are like, you know, why, why don't I have any people around me who like me? It's like, well, do you like anybody? Maybe, maybe start liking people, then they'll like you, because that's how it works, you know. Like, I, I know uh, you never really want to say that to someone who's depressed to be like, you know, kind of cheer up. But it, it, really, it does work like that, you know. Once you start giving, then you start receiving. It's not, it's not, if you don't receive, then you give. That's not, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I uh, like with your auto, like how you were talking about how autoimmune system, you think it works. Like, uh, I'm a big fan. Have you ever heard of Gabor Mate at all? No, is that like a tea? Uh, no, <laughs> Gabor Mate is an author, a doctor. Um, um, oh, okay. He's a guy who's been working on like, uh, uh, he has a, a book called When the Body Says No, and it's all about autoimmune disease. And like a lot of the stuff he kind of... Uh, like he finds like a lot of like similarities in people who have these autoimmune diseases and a lot of it has to do with like a lack of connection and like from various ways like a lot of it has to do with stress for one thing like if you like people who put their bodies through a lot of mental stress um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah then there's just like a lot of different like psychological like um similarities with people who have these kind of diseases so like when you went off of your medicine and like like when you kind of started finding your path and stuff, is this pretty much what helped or was there anything else that you did that helped? Like, uh, you know, like I said earlier, it wasn't just one thing. It was the, the working out, the journaling, you know, getting in touch with my emotions and thoughts, uh, getting in touch with my spiritual side, you know, like I did a lot of Reiki and energy healing and, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, it really helped, you know, I, I don't know how or why, like what exactly it did, but I know it got me through to now. And uh, right now it's five or six years that I haven't taken any medicine and I haven't felt better, you know, so. That's impressive, man. Like, yeah, five or six years, no medicine and you're feeling great. Every day I feel better, you know, honestly. And I'm still struggling with it. It's not that it's gone. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had two sur- three surgeries, okay. and uh, you know the remnants of it is still in my body. It's like it doesn't go away like that. You know, when I when I first started on this journey, I would set myself these timelines where it's like, in two years I'm completely healthy. But the thing that you got to realize is it took me twenty five six years to get to that point. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna solve. It's not gonna get solved in one year. Maybe for some people, but I really feel like, you know, you got to take your time with it. You, it's, it's really a, a comprehensive thing. You're not making surface changes. You're making real deep, you know, changes in your psyche, in your emotions, in your subconscious mind. This stuff takes time, man. It's not, it doesn't just happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those like changes in your like subconscious mind definitely like take a lot of work and, um, a lot of repetition to kind of break those kind of old habits yeah. habits right yeah all right man uh so yeah we're almost done here but i gotta ask you the question so sora uh-huh. reza god right. yay or nay i give it a big yay oh big yay with the thumbs up yeah. <laughs> so uh how uh what is it kind of do you look at uh, the whole idea of god or just like i don't know uh, what what kind of way do you look at it and like 
has it changed because of yoga or was it kind of the same way you looked at it before yoga? Um, it changed because of yoga and it changed back. I, I would say the best way. I think God is really your connection to yourself, okay. which is basically what yoga is. You know, yoga, the word yoga means union. So it means to bring yourself to yourself. <laughs> so God is that that thing inside you that doesn't change. You know, uh, like we talked in the beginning about meditation and the voices in your head. You know, there is something that's observing these voices. You know, what is that thing? Is it what you call it consciousness? You call it the universe, whatever it is, that is God because it doesn't change, you know? That's the definition of something that's beyond us because everything in our universe is always changing, you know? This t-shirt, this t-shirt, this, it's gonna, you know, rip in a year. You know, this house is gonna be gone in 10 years. This computer is gonna be gone and whatever. But God is never changing. You know, that, that thing that is observing all of this is never changing. So that is my definition of God. You know, I, I think it's really almost um, futile to kind of try to define God. I mean, one of the Zen practices is to, to define God in what God is not. You know, that's, that's their way of defining God. But for me, you know, I knew this was this question was coming. So the best way I can define it for myself is that thing inside you that's never changing, mm-hmm. you know, that's always observing, that stays clean and clear no matter what happens in your life. You know, once you reach that thing inside you, then you know that there's always there and it's always the same. A hundred percent. And that's what kind of gives you a little bit of that inner peace because like you always kind of have that like, okay, that's what's real. And like, I can always kind of come back to that. Like when I really need to, when stuff gets too overwhelming. Right. Mm, Exactly. All right. Soro, thank you so much for uh, doing this. Uh, You were an amazing guest. Um, you're, if you're practicing online and stuff, uh, why don't you tell my users uh, where to get a hold of you or anything you want to promote? Uh, feel free to do it now. All right. Well, uh, you can follow me on Krishna Das Yoga and Instagram. That's my yoga page. Right. Uh, I'm also on Soro Reza. That's my personal page. Uh, if you know me, then you can follow me. But <laughs> if you just want some yoga stuff, then follow me on Krishna Das Yoga. So. All right, I'll toss that uh, in the podcast description. Yeah. All right, thanks so much for doing and that. And I just wanted to thank you for having me on. So uh, I've been following these kind of thing, and I, I really like what you're doing here with this podcast. I feel like people um, need a little God in their life. You know, I think uh, religion is given a bad rap to God and spirituality. I, I really think that part of this whole community and connection and thing is spirituality, you know, mm-hmm. um, being, seeing this, the spirituality in each other, because that's really how we find our connection is through other people. So um, thank you for having me. And I hope uh, somebody out there, uh, you know, finds uh, something useful in this conversation.
Hell yeah, man. Thanks so much, Sorrow. All right. That was this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I appreciate it. Please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. It really does help. And also check me out on social media. On Instagram and Twitter, it's at NewerKidY. On Facebook, it's Comedian. I'm constantly putting updates about the podcast when new ones come out. I put up podcast clips. And uh, yeah, I also put up comedy stuff, comedy dates, comedy clips, and different stuff like that. So uh, you can come check out, have a laugh, and get keep up to date on the podcast. Until next time, this is another episode of God Yay or Nay.